Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the NBC Sports King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? You know, I love this branding change because anytime I hear NBC Sports, I get the John Tesh song in my head, you know, that you would hear every Sunday morning growing up as a kid. Was it the round ball rock? Oh, I know. Yeah. No? No? Uh, Yeah, I think that's what it is. (laughs) That's what it is, right? You go to YouTube and check that out. There's one where he, like, he's dressed in full piano playing attire, but he comes out into this, like, amphitheater with a basketball and he just like dribbles it for the camera and then it gets all dramatic and then he runs back to the piano and starts round ball rocking it's great whatever happened to john tesh like him and mary hart were like the thing on entertainment entertainment tonight (laughs) this was before people could do like more than one thing you're like wait wait you're like entertainment tonight guy but then you can also play music wait that doesn't make sense it was pre-ryan seacrest where he shows up on every single platform you're like wow that guy works all the time yeah he took the the media world by storm there that's right okay so I'll, i'll just do some quick explanation uh we are now nbc sports bay area nbc sports california it is the same company as csn uh, we're just doing branding changes, and we discussed that a little bit last week, but uh, it's go time. Uh, I am now at James underscore Ham MBCS is my new Twitter handle. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's the same exact Twitter handle that I've had forever. We just added a few extra letters um, at the end, uh, and you're going to see all kinds of changes. Uh, the coolest thing for me is I get new polo shirts and jackets uh which is always cool free swag uh we have we have nice cutter buck stuff it's cool um but yeah some some changes at uh csn that you will see on the telecast you'll see across all of our platforms and uh good good stuff going forward so aaron uh we got a lot of kings talk to talk about here um i think the biggest thing coming up uh before we even go backwards is that uh the sacramento kings face off against DeMarcus Cousins on Friday. DeMarcus Cousins. Um, That was my best Michael Malone. Uh, What are your thoughts, just your initial thoughts, on Kings v. DeMarcus Cousins? Yeah, that's going to be a real interesting game, obviously. Um, You know, I was a little concerned that he was not going to be able to play. He's been dealing with some injuries, and as Kings fans know, he was kind of banged up on the floor in general during his time in Sacramento, and that's definitely been the case in New Orleans. Uh, when interviewed about the game, he had classic DeMarcus Cousins banter. You could tell it's a big game. He's ready to get up for it. I want to see how he is playing within the context of that offense. I have admittedly not gone frame for frame and done a bunch of film work on Cousins over the last week. But um, it's just going to be, you know, if it's if it's the perimeter stuff, 
you know, will it work? Is he going to have a big game? You know, he's going to come out gunning. And of course, everybody will be talking about it. Yeah, you know what? He's uh, they they've kind of turned it around. They're nine and nine since the trade, but they're seven and three over the last ten, and they're really they are coming on strong. Cousins, I think, has missed two of those games, and they're three and one on the season when Cousins misses. So I think what are they six and eight overall with Cousins on the floor? But he's starting to really hit a lot of threes. I mean, he's he shot five point two threes a game since going to New Orleans, which is a ton. His scoring is down roughly five points a game, but his rebounding numbers are up. His assist numbers are down a little bit. But overall, I think he's doing a lot of the things that we've seen him do in Sacramento forever. He just doesn't have as many opportunities to do it because they have uh, a lot of different players there that are are sharing the load. Um, I expect him to come out with an intensity, and I hope that doesn't mean that he gets himself in some trouble really quick and pick up a technical. (laughs) He's still at 19 techs, right? He's uh, at 18, I believe. Well, there, was uh, he talk, had one. there was talk that he had one rescinded. He got it rescinded. But then there was yeah, no official official word on, on whether it got rescinded. And I actually heard that he did not have a technical rescinded. So I'll do some research while we're talking here. But I, I, I hope that that's not the way that, that the game goes. Because, look, he's going to go up against Costa Cupas, who can be a little bit of an instigator, but not a huge huge issue he's a really good guy and they're you know they're good uh he's going to go up against willie collie stein which of course he might get in trouble for dunking on willie and then yelling in his face or something um but willie is pretty low key and uh and then he's going to go up against yorgos Papianis, i think i'm not sure though that jaeger is gonna is gonna torment the kid and put yeah, him out there say, that would be a good game to play costa yeah, I think it is a good game to play Costa, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, maybe even a little bit more. You know, the Kings are winding down. We're seeing it very quickly that the veterans are not going to play very much at all as we get down the stretch. But this this game does have some, some it, I don't know if it's even more importance, but it does have uh, a certain feel to it that I don't think that that you want to back down from this game i think you you know that cousins is going to come out like trying to score 50 and i don't know if you if you back off and you let him have his night or if you go at him but you know the kings are so young and inexperienced at most positions i i don't know how they handle that and uh you know it'll be an interesting an interesting night i did look it up cousins is at 18 he did have a technical rescinded against the Miami Heat on three fifteen. I think that's the one where he got a technical like fourteen seconds into the game. But yeah, I, I'm expecting fireworks. I'm expecting a very good game. And Anthony Davis is really good as well. And the Kings have had a lot of trouble dealing with Anthony Davis. Well, yeah, and I mean, so there are a lot of interesting wrinkles in this game. So you got Scal, who's a young sort of kind of lightweight version of an Anthony Davis with the skill set, the body type. It will be interesting to see if they match up on the floor. And, you know, Anthony Davis, one of the things he did this year, especially, is he added a ton of weight this year and um, good weight. So I don't think Scal can handle him one bit. Uh, So we'll see how that matchup goes. As far as Cousins, this is this marquee matchup that's almost like bigger than the development um, picture that the Kings need to be looking at. So you've had this game, which you know, kind of uh, detracts from developing the kids. Then you had um, the Memphis game, the Memphis game. Yeah, yeah. obviously. And, and that 
I, what I've noticed, in one, the, it's hard to have a lot of takeaways watching the Kings lately because it is what it is. But one takeaway that I have noticed is the development of the kids has taken a little bit of a backseat. The Memphis game, I'm good with them trying to win that game for coach. Sometimes you got to win the game for coach. I think I tweeted. Yeah, um, it's good for culture, you know, and togetherness and all of that. So but now, you know, you in this Utah game just last night, you saw a lot of uh, Tyreek. You saw a lot of uh, Darren Carlson. You saw not too much of Lawson. But when they're on the floor, you know, they're running pick and roll. They're coming off of that pick and they're basically looking for their stuff. And that's what the defense is giving them. But you've got players like Yorgos, you got players like Scal and even Willie, who did get his fair share of touches. But you, you, those are the guys that you really want to be running stuff for. And you'd like to see a little bit more concerted effort for those guys to get the ball because these games are winding down. There's only a handful of them left. And here's another one with New Orleans where they might try to go out there and win that game with their vets. I mean, I know that they've said that they're not going to do that. But, you know, this, this game's bigger than just this game. I don't think they're going to do that, though. I do believe that they're going to give their young players an opportunity here. I think that the Memphis game was the last hurrah for Jaeger. He he got that one out of the system where he, he needed to go at them and, you know, just get over, get one more on his <laughs> former team. I'll also point out, Jaeger said something in, in, I think it was pregame on Wednesday. He said that he felt like, Scal had gone up against Blake Griffin and then Draymond Green, and he he thought that the uh, sort of the, he was overwhelmed and it was starting to build up a little bit, and so he wanted to pull back in the Memphis game, which of course that meant playing veterans and trying to get the win, but it also meant like giving him a mental break so he doesn't go in against a Zebo and, and just absolutely get destroyed. And, you know, you're blowing his confidence. So I think it's an interesting way that he's kind of phasing guys in and out. Again, you play the Utah Jazz, and I think that that was an opportunity for Scal to play major minutes. And he did play. He played a lot of minutes. Him and Papianis both played, you know, a lot of minutes. And I think that's kind of how you have to bring these guys along. I think we can all see that Scal's got tremendous potential. And you just... You want to take it very, very slowly and delicately. Give him really good opportunities against bad bad teams or bad players at his position. Back him off a little bit when he goes up against an Anthony Davis. You want to see give him a taste, but don't break his don't break his spirits. And then come back the next game and, and do it again. And so I think we're gonna see this sort of flux in and out again and again uh, as we see the season wind down. Yeah, I see that, and I and I understand and respect all of that. And and then here's going to come the big but, is when you got Scal out there, part of the reason that you might worry about his confidence is that he doesn't experience any good things on the floor, right? You know, he goes up against whoever, doesn't get it going offensively, gets beat up defensively. The big thing with him lately has been the fouls. He gets an early foul, and the aggressiveness just goes right away because he's looking for the hook. He's looking to get pulled out of the game, whether it be by the merit of his play or due to the foul trouble. And and those are the things that really are kind of counterproductive or counterintuitive to development of a player is if he feels like coach is looking over his shoulder every single time he makes a mistake, that then makes him think about not making a mistake. And then the the cycle perpetuates. 
Um, one other thing that and this this comes down to his teammates almost as much as the coaches. If you're not getting him involved, then he has no chance on the offensive end for success. So while you might have a pick and roll option coming off of a scowl screen or a willy screen or whatever have you running the offense, if scowl doesn't touch the ball, if he doesn't get a chance to get into rhythm, then you're really just saying, okay, what are you going to do for us defensively? And if defensively he's having a hard time staying out of foul trouble, he doesn't have respect from the referees yet, which unfortunately it comes also as he gets buckets. They're not going to call quite as many fouls. And I don't really have a complaint about the officiating here. It just kind of is what it is in the NBA. Yeah, you have to organizationally say our goals are we want to see Scal shoot 14 times per game. I want to see Willie shoot, you know, 12 times per game. And we want to see Buddy, as long as his thumb is okay, we want to see Buddy shoot 10 to 14 times per game and make sure that that's the focus rather than the guards coming off screens and, and getting their offense because we know what these guys can do. Tyreek Evans won't be with the team next year. You know, we know what those guys are capable of. We're trying to figure out what these young guys are capable of. And in Scal's case, if he's not going to get buckets, then it's going to be a little bit rough on the defensive end if that's the only way he can get confidence out there. Yeah, I, I'm with you in that they need to be featured. I really do believe that Scal needs to be featured and Willie needs to be featured here down the stretch. I totally get what you're saying. I, I think the one problem is Ty Lawson's banged up. He's got a, a quad pull uh, that's right above. It's a, a quad contusion or a quad pull right above his, his right knee. And he told me that it takes him until the second half to warm up at all. And so he's struggling a little bit with that. And he is your real creator on this team. And I know Collison can do some things, but really he is a scoring point guard more than anything else. And I, and I actually think this it's a good discussion because it leads to what happens next. You know, what do you do this offseason? And if you have two guys at the same level, at the same opportunity to draft, and one is a more offensive guy and one is more of a distributor, who do you go with? Because they need a creative offensive weapon. We can see that. They need someone who can score off the ball, I mean off the dribble, uh, who can break defenses down. But they also need somebody with elite passing skills to get everyone involved and get these young guys some touches. And so they're going to have a really difficult time making that decision because, you know, you do need both. You need both. And I don't know that you can, I mean, Russell Westbrook puts up all these gaudy numbers, but everyone knows that he takes a majority of the touches the entire game. I mean, his usage rate's got to be like 40%. It's just ridiculous. And so... How do you manage that? Because I, Aaron, I totally agree. I want to see Scal shooting the ball 12 to 14, maybe even 16 times a game over the last seven games. I want to see him get an absolute green light to go out and do some major damage and see how he does. There's going to be certain nights where he gets just destroyed, but there are other nights where I think he's going to do really, really well. And the other thing I'll point out too is that, I don't know if you've been watching this, but Papa Giannis is not nearly as bad as people think he is. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I just, love Papa Giannis. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to say that Papa Giannis, I talked to Costa Kufis in the locker room. He goes, uh, I think he's going to be pretty good. He's like, I don't mean just like he get, he's going to get some playing time down the road. He goes, I actually think he's going to be pretty good. He's like, he's got great hands. He's got such a soft touch. And I'll tell you this, Aaron. 
He is the best screen setter on the team. He well, sets he's... a massive screen. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, he's a mountain of a man. Like, how, how, it's not even a screen, it's a double wide. But you he's can't got get like a it. solid base. He gets wide in his base, and it's not illegal wide. It's just he's already really wide. He gets in the way. And not only that, but I watch him on screens. If he reads that the guard is going a different way, he'll shift his screen and go and, and open up that space for his guards. I think he's got a lot of potential. I don't know where he's going to be in three years. He's only 19 years old, people. I just wish that he was drafted at 29 so people could not give him the expectations. If it was flip-flopped, him and Scal. Scal 29 or 27, I can't remember. Uh, 20, um, yeah, 28, 29, yeah. Yeah, so it's it. if you looked at him through that lens, you'd be so much more excited about his development. And that's, you know, neither here nor there because it doesn't really matter at this point where he was drafted. But Well, yeah, but look I at agree. Wade Baldwin. Look at, look at everyone around him in the draft. I mean, they're horrible. All of the guys the, around the, him. the one that the one that will get away from everybody in that section of the draft is Timothy Luwawu, um, over in Philly. He he's going to be all right, um, but yeah, like so. What about his game? I noticed he's got a nice sweeping hook, and I don't know if Costa's teaching him that, or if he's just watching film of Tiago Splitter. It's this hook that he's throwing from like as far possible away from his body as possible. There's no way <laughs> you can block it. That's an interesting shot. He does have touch. Um, you, you see some of the skills coming through, like the extra dribbles are starting to go away and the timing underneath is starting to get a little bit better. But let's be real. The only thing that matters with him is defensively is can he slide his feet and, and be a average defender, I think, at the NBA level. The size is there. The rebounding will be there. And the touch looks like it'll be there. We'll see if he can actually shoot at any point in time in his career. But, you know, there's something to work with. I'll give it that. Yeah, my biggest issue with his defensive prowess is that all you got to do is like look up and he jumps. He leaves his feet. <laughs> that's that's mean, the sign of a slower player. You don't right even have there. to give a head fake. You just have to like maybe like wink if you, and he leaves his feet. If you had feet. to wind up for like 15 seconds to get your jump on, <laughs> you would fall for head fakes too. I know. It's, I watched Joe Ingles and this is this is like it tells you how bad it is. Joe Ingles was on the in the left corner last uh, against Utah on Wednesday night, he gave just the smallest head fake and Papi Giannis left his feet. He ran the baseline right around him and got fouled at the rim. And then I watched him go over to their bench and he put his hand down low and he just goes, just he, he like do a pump fake and go right around him every time. He actually told his bench that about Papi Giannis. And then I watched the rest of the night and Papi Giannis did it every single time. Uh, I I I think though he has ability and he can be a shot blocker at the NBA level. I mean, is he going to be? He's not going to be uh, a Rudy Gobert, but he's got tremendous size and he can be a shot blocker at the at the NBA he, level. He's tall enough, but here's my thing: if he tries to block shots with his um, quickness profile right now, he's going to be susceptible to fakes as well as fouls. And I almost think he would be better off taking charges. You know, and, and charges are the underrated defensive plays, you know, because you always get possession of the ball back versus the block, which I'm not anti-block like a lot of people are, but the block can go out of bounds. It could not bounce the way you want it to, to bounce. Yeah. Um, it, that's neither here nor there as well. But like, yeah, I do. I, I mean, Papi Giannis has he's passed the laugh test, which unfortunately with him, whether it's due to the funny name 
or the the place he was drafted, the the lack of being on a Draft Express website or something like that. He he's passed that test, and that's really important because that makes that draft pretty dang good for uh, Vlade Divac. Well, I, here's what I'll point out to you. Okay, so the the two. Okay, I'll just keep going up. Let's see. Uh, the ninth pick, uh, which is uh, that's uh, Pertle. Pertle. Uh, Pertle's averaging two point seven points and three rebounds per game in forty seven games. I'll, I'll argue that Papianis is a better prospect too. Okay, the next pick is Thonmaker. Three point three points, one point six rebounds. They're, they're pretty games. high. They're pretty high on Thon in Milwaukee. Okay, Domantas, uh, Domantas uh, Sabonis, five point eight and three point six in seventy three games, and, and they're super high on him. But I mean, where's the upside? Uh, but th- next- that's a great example of how those sites are completely kind of hit or miss, though, because he was he was advertised as an interior bruiser, and now he's a stretch four. Yeah. Okay. So Torian Prince, five points, two point six rebounds. He he gonna be good. Okay, uh, but here's Denzel uh, Valentine, uh, five yeah, points that... and two point seven uh, rebounds per game. That's not looking so good. Juan Herman Gomez, four point nine and three point one. You you be careful what you say about Wancho. Uh, he, he's yeah. he's I'll, he's a good one. <laughs> I'll say what I want about Wancho. He's he's averaging f- uh, four point nine points per game. Wade Baldwin, three point one. And here, let me just go through these quickly. Henry Ellenson, one point four. One point four points and 0.8 blocks. He's been in 15 games. Malik Beasley. Uh, he's going to be good. He's, he's going to be good. good. But but here's my point. No one is like, oh my gosh, better than him. The only guy who's even averaging that's taken after him, I mean, seriously, this is this is absolutely atrocious. The only guy who's averaging more than him that, that goes anywhere in the top, in the first round after that is Chris Levert. And he's averaging seven point seven points, and you know he's getting some time on on uh, Indy. But this draft is just horrible. I mean, Bembry, uh, Luwawu, like you talked about, five points a game. It's I, definitely not jumping off the page. No, no one is. And I mean, again, Scal is like the fourth or fifth leading points per game guy in this draft class. It's absolutely atrocious. Yeah, but yeah, if Hill, you redid the draft today, Scal goes what two. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Ingram will probably go really high. I mean, Marquise Chris is, is doing okay. But, again, you know, Scal is is ninth in the rookie class in scoring at 7.5 points per game. And he could end end up in the top five. And Buddy Hill is second in scoring behind Malcolm Brogdon, who is a second-round pick, the only player in in the 2016 draft that's averaging double figures at 10.3 points. He, he's a good one. But the, you're right. The, the big point here is there's not a lot of separation between the guys that have done good this year. That's part of why the Rookie of the Year discussion is such a bummer. There's really not a lot to talk about there. And then, you know, everybody in that mid-tier. And when you, when you pay the big man premium, because, you know, if you get a decent big man in the draft, they're going to go much higher than an equivalent player. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to kind of take a little bit of a – of a downgrade in talent for where you draft a big man still though, you know, and I don't like this comparison, the Marcus Gasol thing, cause you're asking a lot of this kid to, to even be in the same universe. But remember how people thought Marcus Gasol was like the craziest trade 
ever <laughs> that could have ever been made. And do you remember the pictures of him when he was 300 pounds? Oh, I mean, God. yeah, just like big and lumbering and like a doughboy. You, you would have literally given that guy zero chance <laughs> whatsoever. And that's the thing with Papianis is, you know, and I know Aileen took a lot of crap on Twitter for, for asking about weight, but like that is what I look at. I go, you know what, if he cuts all the weight that he could humanly possibly cut now you're really looking at something that's you know an interesting package you you could now see him being a lateral defender you could see him holding his own on that end but then offensively really you know because he's got that strength that strength will never go away and and if he adds the touch or keeps the touch going and then has that quickness now you're talking about a multi-dimensional player like a mark gasol which then really changes the discussion here. Because as of right now, you look at him, you go, okay, your upside is as a backup big man, and it's really hard to see anything beyond that. But if you take 20 pounds off, now, in my opinion, the whole thing changes for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to keep saying this to people again and again and again. He is 19 years old. I mean, giving <laughs> up on him, at, I mean... I don't know who's talking. Nobody should be talking about that. He's like the 19th. uh, This is horrible, but he's the 19th highest scorer out of this draft, and he's like sixth in rebounding. And he's only played a handful of games, but at the same time, I think he's showing signs that he can actually be a pretty decent player. And I've seen him push and shove, and and start to get physical, which people were worried about around the team that he didn't have that sort of. sort of the gusto, the the want to make contact with people. But I think we're seeing him grow uh, each and every game. I'll add something that's an, an interesting wrinkle that I thought of the other day and that I had to like talk myself out of it was what if you, you get something out of Papianis and then you get Willie at four and Scal at three, if that was actually somehow feasible, that would be real. That would be a really unique lineup combo that if it happened to work, you'd be looking at really elite level measurables and you could always slide Papayanis out of the lineup if you came up across a, a small ball team. But, you know, starting with that formation, if that actually if they had the skill level to pull that off, I mean, you know, that's why the Warriors are so great in certain ways is like your small forward is six foot ten. And, you know, can add so much length to the lineup. It's what makes Milwaukee so intriguing. If you have Scal at three, that's really something if you're the Kings. Well, I think this draft sort of lends itself to some of those type players, too. I think there are three small forwards which are absolutely intriguing, uh, including Isaac, who will go around where the Kings should have the New Orleans pick. And he's, what, 6'11 with a 7'3 or 7'4 wingspan. And he's a stream being out of Florida State, but if he develops into a six foot eleven small forward with with all kinds of upside, he's already shown the ability to pass, the ability to shoot, the ability to rebound. If he progresses and gains thirty pounds and develops, you might have something really special, especially if you've got Collie Stein and Scal, you know, as with him on a front line where it's so much length that you can't do anything. Now I'll also point out Scal believes he can play the small forward position. I asked him about it. We had it on the podcast last week. The coaching staff does not believe that he can play at the <laughs> I, I'm just telling you. Like I, I've talked to I've talked to at least one assistant coach and 
he said, I, I don't see it at all. I don't think he's he's going to be able to play the the three at the NBA level. He's like, I just don't, lateral quickness-wise, I we think he's a really good matchup as a stretch four and as a conventional four. He can do back to the basket. He can do catch and shoot. We like his potential there. We don't want to drag him back over to the that position and say, hey, let's try something else here, just because he's got so many other things he's got to work on to get stronger and to get better. I just think year three and year four four with Scal are going to be like, people's eyes are going to be huge. Like, I can't believe. I mean, he's going to sell so many jerseys. Oh, and- yeah. Well, he, here's the, the weird thing. You said his strength. His arms are actually filled out. It's the rest of his body that's not there. When that catches up, he will be a true four. Like, he won't be a stretch four. He'll be a conventional four with yeah. the ability to stretch it out. I, I will probably disagree with the decision if they choose not to try to move him closer to the three because I just I look at what Milwaukee's done and I think it's just really ahead of the game, next level type thinking to really try to shock Giannis into being a point guard, being yeah. you know into those skills. And yeah, you know, Scal's not that guy, but you know, to make him a three, I think is is something that they could look at, but. You know, it, it, for for what they're looking at right now, I can see where they would say that. Yeah, and you know, I uh, I remember when Rudy Gobert came in for pre-draft workouts, and he came in and had done like a tremendous amount of upper body work, like, and, and so he came in, he did his workout, and then we were waiting, and we were talking to other people, and he was uh, he was sitting down with his legs stretched out, and leaning back on his on his arms, and. He had taken his shirt off, and it was so clear that he was like, look at me, I, I went and I worked out and I'm buff. <laughs> and it was comical because it looked like his shoes were going to just snap his ankles off because his legs were so small. But here's this guy who well, like, you know. That actually happened to him. Well, yeah. I like, mean, uh, he, he went after year one, his positive, the end of his his breakout year. And then he worked out, and he came into the in, into the following season top heavy, and then he started having knee problems. Yep. And so it was. I mean, you could have almost predicted something like that. Would that's have what happened. Hassan Whiteside did. I mean, and that's something that you got to avoid with uh, with Scal. It is it, it's a full body development. It's not. It's not just about upper body. He he looks like he might be on the wrong path, and I don't know that for sure. Obviously, and a lot of this though is his age. Like he's gonna fill out. And, and yeah, I'm sure with the King's staff, they're, they're doing things, you know, to make sure that he's working out his legs and, you know, all the other muscles that, you know, not the gym muscles, so to speak. Yeah. They've um, got a good training staff. I, I, I just think give, give him a lot of dribbling drills this summer and, and don't turn him into a perimeter player, but, but give him that ability to move with the basketball in his hands. And, uh, that, that there's a lot he needs to develop. But um, I would I would like to see them get a little bit aggressive with that because I think he can handle it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've got a lot of work to do on the bodies of their players. Even uh, Malachi. Malachi is naturally much bigger and stronger than you think. He's really built. His lower legs are really big. He has an ability to bulk up. Um, and, you know, his body is a little bit like Evan Turner's body, just a very different game. But... I, I think that that's sort of the body style that he has. And so they have a lot of work to do there. I think Buddy is a guy that they, they want to get stronger as well. 
And I, you mentioned Buddy's thumb, and he might be having some sort of thumb issue because I, I saw him holding his thumb. What was that in the Clippers game or the Memphis game? It, it's been for like the last three games. He, he hit it on a play that did not even have a lot of contact, and that's when I think it was three games ago he like shot some free throws weird, and you thought, oh, this doesn't look good. And then he came back and he made a bunch of buckets, and everybody kind of followed it away as well. Maybe it's not a big deal, but that one three he shot last night just looked terrible, and he shook his hand afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watch him every pregame. He shoots three or four hundred three-pointers, and he did the same thing yesterday. So if his thumb's hurting, it might be an overuse issue. Like, put down the Atari joystick. Like, not, that's not <laughs> what I mean. I mean, he really, really shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots. He wants to be great, and I've been told by multiple people, he's in the gym three times a day. Like, they can't keep him out of the gym. It's just like, holy cow, this dude is a absolute worker. Now, you can do all that and never get any better because you're doing things wrong. So I, I hope that he's doing the right things and that the Kings are on top of him, making sure that everything he's doing is, you know, form and perfect. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of that. But, you know, he, he's done he's shown pretty well so far. You know, I don't think that I personally wouldn't have him locked in a starting job next year. But as far as a lock, not lockdown because of the defensive term, but as a strong super sub six man, he has shown the moxie. He's shown, um, you know, as far as like being able to get your shot off when you need it. He's he's got that step back move that's really, really it's unique because you don't see a lot of shooting guards shoot it like that. Um, and, and I think that that moxie is something that you don't see a lot of in the NBA. I mean, it's not like false moxie, I should add. Like you could get Nick Young moxie pretty easily out there in the NBA. But to, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but like to be able to actually deliver, you know, in, in not ridiculous ways like Nick Young. Yeah, that's, that's called basketball lifestyle. That's what that's called. That, yeah. that has nothing to do. I mean, he plays basketball, but really he's, he's not a basketball player. You know it's I mean? um it's good though to have that because you, you just didn't I mean you don't looking at rook, his rookie season you did not know you know was that a guarantee and and now I do think that at the NBA level that Buddy's going to be a strong six man for the Kings if that's what they choose to make him going forward I think I'm not ready to sell out on the six man I, I'm ready to give him an opportunity to win the job and to be that guy but he's got to show an improvement as a passer he's got to show an improvement on his uh, his defensive side, and he's got to show improvement on his ability to play in the pick and roll because I think he can be a really really high quality pick and roll player, but he's got to learn how to pass in it. And... He, he doesn't know the passes. That's just the, the yeah, only problem right there. He does like not know kind of how to deliver the pass. You see, like Scal's got a you know a six inch, six inch advantage over his defender, and he can't deliver him the ball. Yeah, you know those are the things that are kind of crushing him right now. Okay, well, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, Aaron, but uh, we had the hinky rumor. Something, something <laughs> hinky is going on around here. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know what you want to make of this. I All I know is that the Kings are, are backing away from whatever it was that happened very quickly, and uh, they're putting strong denials about hiring someone over the top. They did not deny having conversations they did deny that they're going to hire him or uh, hire anyone above Vlade uh, I don't know what that means though and I do know that a lot of people are pushing for more help in the front office more help in the scouting department more help in in every department in the franchise in, in, on the basketball side 
just because they believe that it's understaffed and it needs more. And that's not to say people are doing bad jobs. They just need more help. And so I don't know what that means. And I don't know where the Kings are going to go from here. And I don't have any, any extra outside of I know that minority owners have been pushing. I know that other people have been pushing to get more help in the front office. Yeah, I mean, I think you have quite a few different agendas that are pushing on, on various you know items. Um, yeah. and, and I have been told that the Kings are indeed sniffing around out there for additional help that could conceivably be above Vlade Divac. So that's, um, you know, to me in this Kings kind of um, infrastructure that could mean one thing today and it can mean another thing two, two weeks from now. Um, but as far as Hinky goes, I think that there is a strong minority ownership interest in him and um, that's going to be a storyline. Uh, there aren't a lot of these jobs. So if, um, you know, if he can curry up support, so to speak, we'll, we'll hear about it. And then it'll be up to, I guess, the powers that be to decide whether or not they believe in, you know, the Sam Hinkie approach, which I think is really overrated in the media. I, I don't think he could, I don't, I don't want to like say he's a bad general manager or he's a, you know, it wouldn't work out as a contributor to this team, but the tanking method of business is not one that yields championships. And that hasn't proven to be successful in any way, shape or form in Philadelphia. And there have been multiple reports out of Philadelphia that there was some degree of dysfunction within that group. Now you could, whether you want to put it on ownership, you want to put it on hinky or a combination of the both, who knows? Um, but the overhype to me is kind of the takeaway here is if, if this was got any other, any other guy and you just covered up the name and you looked at the record, we wouldn't be talking about him like this. Um, so there will, there will be talk and I'm sure we'll continue to hear that. And then we'll just have to see how it all fleshes out. Yeah. I think that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to wait and see approach on this. I think that the King's strong denial, uh, might extend whatever's going to happen here out a bit where they don't make a move and they, they kind of back away. I don't even know who's out there doing the searching for this because above Lade, I mean, there are people, but I mean, I don't know exactly where this thing's going. We've heard Jason Levian's name mentioned a bunch of times as someone who has been consulting, who has consulted with uh, Vivek on certain things. And he's a guy that I, I know his name has been out there multiple times that he's been in the building um, and, and that name's cooled a little bit, at least according to some of my sources. Yeah. And and so I think it's easy. It's always easy to pin stuff on the Kings. It like is. It, you, if you wanted to get your name kicked out there as, you know, in the GM hunt, if you will, like you could say that the Kings are interested because that is actually indeed something that has happened, you know, so to, to get that out there so other teams can hear, hey, you know what? Sam Hinkie's got a, you know some some legit interest out of the Kings. Maybe we ought to look into Sam Hinkie. So you have a lot of different interested parties that could benefit from news that would be out there like this. Yeah. All right. So Aaron, I I want to finish up with one thing. Um, our good friends over at Sacktown Royalty are doing something pretty amazing. Uh, they have partnered with the Kings and the Ticket to Dream Foundation. There is a link on Sacktown Royalty site where you can purchase tickets to the April 11th game against the Phoenix Suns. It's a charitable donation for foster children uh, in the Sacramento area. 
Uh, tickets are $15, $25, and $40, depending on where you want to buy tickets, either upper bowl, lower upper bowl, or $40 for lower level seats for uh, for foster children. And the Kings are matching any ticket purchase. So you go on there and you could buy two tickets for 30 bucks. And the Kings will send two more kids to a game. And so that's a wonderful thing that our good friends at Sacktown Royalty are doing. I highly recommend that you go over there and do it. I will be purchasing tickets myself uh, because I believe in things like that. And uh, so kudos to them for coming up with this. They've done amazing things in the past. They sold 600 tickets at one point during the relocation saga. Uh, Here we buy tickets and... Um, you know, it's, it's a good thing to get involved with. So, uh, shout out to those guys. And if you guys have a chance, go to sacktownroyalty.com, uh, go in there and and buy some tickets for some kids that would love, you know, those are life-changing things for, for kids who, who maybe will never have the money to buy tickets, you know, until they get older and they, they have families of their own or they get good jobs out of college and they, you know, everything goes right for them, but, uh, certainly something to get on board with. Uh, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, no, I would I would echo all that. And, and the Sacktown Royalty guys are great and they've always done this kind of stuff. So not surprised to hear about that whatsoever. So I'll check it out. I'll probably buy a couple tickets myself and then I'll have to give them away because I won't be able to make the game. But uh, yeah, that's uh, everybody remembers the first time they walked into a professional arena, of whatever type and just the, the sights, the sounds. Gosh, I mean, Golden One Center, you know, you're going to make some kids month, year. You know, it's something that we should all definitely support because, you know, these types of things, they stick with people for their entire lives. It's half the reason why we're basketball fans is is we went and we did something like that ourselves. That's right. All right. So uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the NBC Sports Kings Insider podcast. I am James Hamm. He is Aaron Bruski. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you very soon.